Hello and welcome to the uh, fifth episode of Unraveling, I think. Either way, hello, um, my name is Fraser and I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Still need to think of a better intro than that, but um, for now, I guess it stays. Anyway, how are you? I'm okay. Um, it's been an interesting week, to be honest, actually. Um, I've been doing a lot of drawing. I've been, I've been doing a lot of drawing to keep myself sane um in these trying times which is i really can't recommend that enough if you're struggling with any kind of anxiety teach yourself to draw because now is better than ever like we've got the time now well i suppose next week a lot of people will be going back to work but i know i will but yeah use use the opportunity to teach yourself how to draw because i think a lot of people get put off from it but i think any, anyone can really learn how to do it it's just, you just got to put some hours into it it's the same with anything really but Anyway, um, hope you've been having a good week. That's what I've been up to. If the audio is not stellar this week, um, I feel like I say that a lot, and I always have some excuse, but um, it is because we are. I'm, I live in Brighton, and I'm currently being bombarded with forty mile an hour winds. So I've got the, you know, the windows and everything closed, but it's very possible that you will hear some howling winds in the background um it's very atmospheric actually i've always been doing a lot of writing and i find the wind the wind and the rain has been very um conducive to a certain kind of fiction um <laughs> which is nice so this week we are going to be looking at um i guess a somewhat more philosophical approach this week we're going to be looking at identity which is a fascinating uh kind of idea in and of itself but we're going to be looking at how it pertains to um mental illness because that's what this podcast is about and specifically i want to talk a bit about the um the idea of identifying as having a mental illness you know and, and whether kind of having ocd is a part of my identity or you know whether it defines me in any way and i should say uh, at the start that i wrote a sort of thought piece kind of blog short blog post kind of thing for um my friend jordan's blog not just politics um i'll put a link to that in the description um i'll put just a link to her blog and you can read through some interesting stuff on there but i'm gonna kind of be um working through some of the stuff i wrote there in a bit more detail today and um and also you know allowing myself to go off on many tangents which i will undoubtedly go on but it should be fun um this topic kind of came to me um when i was doing research for that um episode three i think it was when i was doing ocd in fiction characters with ocd and that remains my favorite episode i know it was like three times as long as the normal ones but i've really enjoyed doing that and i think if you're interested in um mental health uh in characters which i i am you know psychology uh, as it relates to fiction and media, then I think that would be a good episode if you haven't listened to it already, which I hope you have. I hope you listened to all of these. Um, I hope you're not sick of me by now. But when I was uh, researching characters for that, I came across a lot of things online where people would describe the characters as OCD rather than as having OCD. And in a couple of comment sections and things like that, I saw people kind of complaining about this because, and, you know, raising a valid point that, uh, when you describe someone as OCD, it's almost like you're you're just you're you know defining them as their 
illness. You know, you're not giving them enough credit um, as to their own personal identity, which they have, which, you know, they would normally find and define for themselves outside of the confines of some kind of uh, mental illness or psychological damage. And I think that raises a, an interesting question about identity and mental illness. And I think, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a good point to make because um, in a lot of ways, if you were describing someone as OCD, which is which is quite a common way, you know, you do hear people say things like that, like, oh, he is very OCD or she's very um, OCD. When really what I think they're trying to say is he's very obsessive or she's very obsessive or they're very obsessive or whatever. Um, but when you say someone is OCD, it's kind of like saying someone is pneumonia, um, you know, or like someone is COVID-19. It doesn't really, you know, and I, I, it doesn't really make sense. And I think a lot of illnesses, or maybe not illnesses, but there's a lot of um, psychological conditions that are dubbed in this way. Um, for example, people are said to be bipolar, you know, he is bipolar or they are, um, I don't know, a psychopath, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, or um, she is autistic or they are depressed. But I think outside of the normal um, functions of language where, you know, things like, for example, depressed is the is the adjective form of the uh, noun depression, which is the actual condition. So if you say, you know, they are depressed, you're, you know, you're essentially just conjugating uh, the word in a in a different way, which is, you know, it's all well and good to do that, but you can't really do that when the illness is something like OCD, because to say he is OCD, you're essentially saying he is obsessive compulsive disorder. And that, to me, carries kind of different connotations. If you spell out the acronym when you say that you know, she is obsessive compulsive disorder, it's almost like you're saying that that person is so obsessive that they are the embodiment of uh, the disorder in and of itself. And in a way, that could be kind of funny, but um, it's also somewhat problematic, I think. So that was the motivation um, to look into this a bit further. And I think already there's, you know, some interesting questions have come up just from that brief kind of outline of the topic. But to say more, I think maybe there is a sense in which you can say that um, having OCD, as opposed to being OCD, does form a functional part of our normal identities for, well, obviously for people who have OCD. Um, and I think that is possible that that does form part of their identity. And I'm not necessarily convinced that that's actually a bad thing, having thought about it. Um, so I'm going to say a bit more about that now. But to give this, again, just a final bit of context, when I was a teenager, um, my cognitive behavioral therapist said to me that I should kind of prepare myself for the possibility that... Um, I would never really truly be free from OCD. It's just that I would probably get it down to a point that it was so minimal and manageable that it was kind of so discreet that it was not really an issue anymore. And at the time, I was kind of like, yeah, okay. You know, because obviously she was a therapist. But when I kind of brought that thought to um, the attention of my family members my sister in particular was like I'm not sure you know that that's necessarily a good idea 
you know, that you should kind of just accept this part of yourself because, you know, otherwise, you know, you might, I mean, I don't remember specifically why she said that, but I, I think if memory, I mean, this was a long time ago, but I think if memory says she was sort of maybe hinting at the possibility that if you accept it as a part of your um, identity, then you might lose some of the um, impetus to get rid of it. And I think that that's also very true. Um, so there's two opposing points here that seem quite um, salient to me. Um, I should say that I shouldn't, I, I don't necessarily attribute that second point to my sister. It was, like I said, it was such a long time ago. I just vaguely remember her saying something along the line, you know, something along the lines of that. But regardless if I've got that completely wrong, which is possible, it's still, I think, a valid point. So there's, you know, there's strong points to be made on either side of this. Um, and when it comes to the subject of identity, I think it's quite clear to see how this debate about accepting OCD can figure into a conversation about identity. I should probably start by saying that identity, at least from a sort of philosophical standpoint, is incredibly complex an issue. You know, it's it's really, you know, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will have had moments like this, but if you really, you know, sort of pause and think about who you are and what it means to be you that is a you know that's a big question my man that is you know and i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna be able to kind of answer any of that wind is really kicking off um i'm not gonna be able to answer any of that really today obviously because i'm not a i'm not a guru and i'm also not you so i can't really help you with that but i might be able to help you if you're struggling with a mental illness and and reconciling that as a part of yourself because I think there might actually be some strength in that. So when we say that someone is OCD, first of all, I think we should probably stop saying that. We should say they have OCD or they are obsessive compulsive as opposed to they are obsessive compulsive disorder, um, which would be, it's just for, for, you know, for nothing else, it's kind of grammatically inconsistent. Um, and, to say that someone is OCD, the the word is is obviously a, a conjugate of the verb to be, and to be anything is probably the most problematic and difficult uh, verb in the entire English language, um, or in any language for that matter, actually, um, because defining what it means to define something is an incredibly difficult task inherently. I realise that that might have sounded a bit confusing and maybe a little bit kind of jargony but what I'm essentially trying to say is this that I think when we're talking about mental illness and our identity we're raising two distinct questions here that are almost they're almost identical but they're not quite the same so one of these questions is are we defined by our mental illness and another question is do we identify with said mental illness and they are two different questions, but there's obviously definitions and identity. Obviously, there is overlap between those two, I guess, fields of inquiry. And definition itself is a vague word. But when I'm, you know, when I talk about it here, what the context that I'm using it in is this, is that when when we say, you know, am I defined by my OCD? What I kind of mean is, um, does my OCD uh, impose limits on my identity in, in that respect? Does it impose limits on my character? And of course, the answer to that 
in a sort of factual sense is yes of course it it does limit me in some respect because it, it you know it's a very it's a debilitating condition and it does limit the things that I'm able to do um, it limits my ability to have social interactions and it limits my ability to perform well at work um, particularly in these times with COVID-19 it limits my ability to go outside or do small uh, previously easily done uh, tasks but at the same time, it would it seems quite a, that would seem a sort of horrible world to live in, right? If we were kind of accepting that um, our mental illness um, of any kind could be so limiting on the kind of person that we are, I don't particularly want to have OCD, um, obviously, and I don't particularly want to have to be defined by it for my entire life. I would like people to think of me as a person outside of my illness. In the same way that someone who was suffering from cancer wouldn't want their cancer to define them. But where does identity figure into this? Well, when we talk about identities, one of the ways that we can identify anything is by picking them out by their defining qualities. So, for example, something being square is an identity that you can ascribe to an object, for example... Uh, like a Rubik's cube is a sort of the three-dimensional expression of a square but that's what a cube is and we can define or I should say we can identify for example when we look at a Rubik's cube we can identify that it is a cube because it satisfies the definition of a cube in that it has six sides um, and they're all perpendicular to each other and you know so on whatever so that's one of the ways that identity and definition can overlap so if we've said that the OCD can impose limits on my character by being a defining trait of myself, then in a sense we are kind of conceding that to, be, to have OCD, to be defined by OCD, is also to have OCD form a part of my identity in a very real and significant way, in a way that you might use to identify me. So, for example, you know, if we're talking about the cube thing, an, an analogous um, description would be something like you would be able to identify Fraser in the same way that you identify the cube, in that you could identify me as being that guy with OCD, just as you can identify Ruby's cube as a cube because of its number of sides and the angles there and, and so on. So it kind of, we're in a bit of a mess here, right? Like, <laughs> it's gotten a bit it's run away a little bit and it's a bit confusing and and uh we might need to unravel yeah some of it yeah um it's just uh it's going to be kind of one of those episodes that they're just sort of off the cuff and um is it off the cuff or off the c- cup off the cuff i've never th- it's definitely off the cuff what am i saying i'm gonna get back Anyway, I need to focus. Um, I'm just going to sip my tea and, and get my head around this. So it's obviously um, a tricky situation. There is a real sense that I would say that I do identify with my OCD and with other people who have OCD. I've even given them a name on this podcast. We've called them Octa People. Um, and I think that name's quite sweet. And when I say it, and I think of all the people who have OCD, there is a real sort of camaraderie yeah there you know what I mean it's kind of like a there's a genuine feeling of 
connection between myself and other people who are suffering in the same way because I guess there is some unifying nature of suffering after all, you know? Uh, that's why the people, when they're going through a horrible time, they often say, we're all in this together. Um, and that exemplifies that exact feeling to a T. And, you know, it's a rhetoric that we've heard quite a lot um, during the COVID-19 pandemic because people are always saying that we're in this together when it comes to a global pandemic. Because, of course, we are, because it's global. <laughs> it's the very definition of being in it together. So... In that respect, OCD, I think it would be a part of my identity in a meaningful way. And I do, you know, kind of almost wear it in that way as a badge of, you know, almost almost like I'm a member of some kind of <laughs> club. <laughs> but that, you know, I mean, to some people, they might argue that that's not necessarily a healthy way of viewing a mental illness, because obviously, we don't want to glamorize anything. We don't want to make it fashionable or desirable to be in this position ultimately if being an octoperson is kind of like being in a club then it's a club that we should all be desperately trying to get out of <laughs> and helping each other to get out of it's a sort of weird it's a weird club that you don't get to choose if you're a member everyone wants to leave and we're all trying to help each other out <laughs> um and there's also a wider sense in which I find myself identifying just with people with anxiety disorders in general, because we've established as well earlier on the show that um, OCD is a, a neurobiological anxiety disorder. So there's a real connection, I feel, as well with other people who just have general anxiety or other you know, specific anxiety disorders. And then further than that, there's even a layer where I find myself identifying quite you know wholesomely in in that same sort of camaraderie kind of way with people who have mental illness in general so you know people who are suffering from depression for example which is also something that i occasionally struggle with um although not to the same degree that uh that i would consider making a podcast about it <laughs> but it's you know it's still something there but then there's also this question of you know this this point that was raised at the start you know maybe i shouldn't be doing this because it kind of seemed that you know if we're if we're all jolly comrades in our mental decline <laughs> then we might lose some of the motivation to to get out of this weird uh anxiety filled social club that we've subscribed to um against our will so yeah i guess in a in a sense we're you know kind of back where we started now but i think there might be some important things to remember when you consider all this which is that something can be a part of your identity temporarily and something can maybe be a defining trait that you have but only temporarily i think there's this misconception that um that people believe in and i think it's quite a it's maybe sort of a well i was going to say it's kind of a western idea of identity but i i don't know enough about um other cultures uh, concepts of identity but i i think def certainly at least in uh western civilization we subscribe to a sort of linear monolithic identity like we kind of believe i think that there is a true nature that we each have people talk about being a good person deep down or a spiritual person deep down 
you know you hear that that term deep down and then when you really unpack it you think okay well what does that mean deep down so you you've got a sort of superficial layer and then you've got a kind of which is almost like a um like the earth's crust and then underneath that the you'll if you dig deep enough you'll reach some bedrock and i guess at the bedrock is where people are thinking that they might have some kind of deep down right they have this kind of core identity and i'm not necessarily saying that that isn't true but I think by its very nature, the idea of a core or a true or a deeper identity, to some people that speaks to that identity's inability to change. So we think if you're a good person deep down, that necessarily implies that you have always been a good person deep down and you were sort of born that way and you will die that way. And if, you know, if you're a good person deep down, you might make some mistakes throughout your life. And those bad things could form part of your identity on a superficial level. But deep down, you'll always be a good person. So therefore, yeah, you'll always be a good person. You started a good person and you'll end as a good person. So this kind of two-stage identity between the superficial realm and the, I don't, I don't know what we call it, the sort of bedrock realm. I don't, I don't really know, I need a word for it. The deeper, just kind of less shallow realm between those two stages there might be some interplay that moves back and forth but ultimately the the deeper level is fixed this is at least what i think a lot of people without realizing it they is they have a bias towards that idea and so i'm not necessarily disagreeing the idea of there being a kind of two-stage identity but i would take issue maybe with the idea that your deeper identity is immutable or unchangeable just because something forms a part of who you are deep down doesn't mean it is resistant to change it just might mean that it resists change more than the superficial level or the surface level um so if you're a good person deep down deep deep down you might be for the first 50 years of your life for example but then you know slowly over time i think possibly your kind of true identity who you are that that can actually change just as as much as the superficial level can change it just happens on a much slower timeline so being how you know how does this relate to being mentally ill well i would argue that perhaps there's kind of two ways of looking at this one way is to say that having ocd is a part of your surface or so uh, you know surface level or superficial identity in which case um we can identify with it and you know be part of the ocd club but as soon as we're out of that ocd club we can kind of ping it off you know flick it off the um the surface level identity identity sorry and from that point on we don't necessarily have to what well, we wouldn't uh, identify with it um, but saying that it's on that superficial level, again, I think would imply that it's easily changed. What I think is that being mentally ill or having an anxiety disorder, for me, it is a fundamental part of my identity. But just because it's fundamental, that's that would be the other word, I guess, the superficial level and the fundamental level. So for me, having OCD is a part of my fundamental identity, but that doesn't actually mean that it's not subject to change. I think... Just the idea that something is deeper or, you know, a core part of your identity, just because it's it forms a core part of your identity doesn't mean that you can't actually change it, you know. 
And I probably will have OCD, you know, at some level, whether that's at the surface or deep down, uh, throughout most of my life. But I don't actually think that that precludes the possibility that I'll ever get over it. Or you know, when I say get over it, I mean recover or, you know, cure my OCD. Um, now, I don't know the neuroscience, actually, around this topic. I probably should have looked it up, but... You know, I've only got so much time to do research, but, um, you know, I'm busy preparing pretentious philosophical arguments. I haven't got time to actually look at science. But uh, <laughs> the idea, I think, that um, that mental illnesses could be cured is, uh, is definitely an interesting um, question. I think there are some illnesses, it would seem to me, again, without looking at the science, but it vaguely seems to me like maybe when it comes to things like OCD, there is potentially a difference in the actual sort of brain state of people who suffer from it versus people who don't. And I suppose that's why when I, you know, when I looked into it and it was defined to me as a neurobiological uh, anxiety disorder, that neurobiology would potentially, I think, maybe suggest that um, the, there's a difference in, as I say, the brain state between people with um, OCD and people without it. Now, don't take my word on that, because as I said, I haven't actually looked into the neuroscience surrounding it. If then uh, that was true, however, that, um, you know, being having OCD um, would uh, indicate some difference on a kind of neurobiological level, um, then it's quite possible that I will have OCD forever, I suppose. Um, barring some kind of brain surgery. But my understanding is that it's just slightly more chemical than um, than that. And obviously, I you know, I do take medication to manage my OCD, um, like a lot of people do. Uh, I just take, you know, anti-anxiety medication, and I find that that helps me quite a lot. There have been times where I've taken quite high doses of anti-anxiety, or moderate at least doses, and there have been times where I've alternated between a moderate dose and a, and a minimal dose, um, and at the moment I'm on a pretty minimal dosage um, for my medication. And there have also been times where I haven't been on it at all, where I've been able to just say to my doctor, actually, I don't think I need this, I'm doing quite well. And... For those months that I've been off it, you know, and I, I think the longest I was off my medication since, you know, I was first put on it when I was maybe 15 was, I think the longest I was off it was maybe over a year and a half. And in that time, I definitely did exhibit minor compulsions. You know, I still probably wash my hands more than most people. And I don't, um, when I wash my hands in the bathroom, I don't touch the taps afterwards. You know, I'll turn the tap off with a paper towel or something like that. Um, and... You know, that, that stuff was still there. But if you'd asked me if I had OCD in that time, my reflex, of course, would have been to say yes. But it was kind of to such a, a minimal degree that I wouldn't really necessarily identify with it anymore. So in a way, I guess what this all gets back to is that my therapist was right, but also wrong. Because in the sense that I always have felt that OCD was kind of there, even when it was at its most minimal degree, then she was kind of right to tell me to prepare myself for that possibility. But when we're talking about accepting parts of our identity and parts of our personality like that, I think it's important to note 
that there have been times where I got so close to getting rid of OCD that I may as well have been declared free from it, at least for those months. And I think insofar as that is possible, it indicates that there is a possibility of making serious shifts to the fundamental level of my identity. And in the same way I made an analogy earlier between the superficial identity and the fundamental identity is a bit like the Earth's crust and like sort of bedrock. Um, but if you think about it, you know, I guess it would be sort of like at the, at the mantle if you kind of were looking at a slice of the, the Earth. But the Earth's crust, the surface of the Earth changes all the time, and we know that. You know, we can we can look backwards and kind of make models of, of what the Earth would have looked like a billion years ago. But it changes it at a deeper level as well. Quite a quite a bit over over very long periods of time. I think it's it's probably just that it changes much slower than at the surface. And I think identity is a little bit like that. So I guess to kind of sum up, um, we've covered quite a bit. But but what I would kind of say the point of this whole spiel has been is this: um, I don't think I am defined by my OCD, even though it does occasionally pose limits on my character. Because I do possess the ability to grow and to heal, just like everyone else does. However, there is a real comfort that can be taken in identifying as a member of a sort of, like I said, kind of like this club. You know, there's there's some real solace in that for me. It makes me feel less alone in the same way that when we think about COVID-19 and we remind ourselves that the whole world is going through it and that we're all in it together, there's some solace there and we can kind of band together and that that gives us a possibility of of really coping with it better so in that sense i think yes i would say i do identify as mentally ill and i do identify with my mental illness but what we need to be careful with is that this implication that just because i identify with my mental illness doesn't mean i am accepting that i'll be mentally ill forever because as i said i think just we can still identify with something without excluding the possibility that we're going to change or grow or heal or improve um and it's really important to hold on to that you know so just as you know you in a way you're sort of subscribing to this club it's important to remember that you can unsubscribe from it it just takes a lot of work you know and getting over a mental illness or recovering from a mental illness, or whatever language you want to use to describe it, it takes a lot of work. I've talked about the kind of the benefits of exposure therapy in other episodes. Exposure is really hard. It's really stressful, but it's well exposure response, I should say, response prevention. So this idea that you expose yourself to one of your triggers, you allow your anxiety to be triggered and to kind of wash over you, and then you just have to sit with it and not do your compulsions, and whether that's, you know, hand washing or running away or checking things or whatever the compulsions might be. The idea is you just stay with it and you watch your anxiety come down. It just takes a really long time to stop feeling anxious because you haven't got your compulsions to rely on. But it's really stressful. It makes you feel really anxious and it's it's upsetting. But if you do it enough times, it, it becomes less and less stressful. And, you know, you might find that with enough work you essentially get to this place where you don't really need to worry about those triggers anymore. And insofar as that's possible, the idea of recovery seems possible too. So this might have been a bit of a confusing one, maybe, to listen to, but um, I don't know. 
It makes sense in my head, but maybe I haven't. I hope I've explained it well. But I think it is important to think about these things. You know, I do identify with OCD and I do identify with other people who have OCD, but I'm not doing that in a way that is suggesting that we should accept it forever. You know, and it is possible to have both, I think. So, yeah. That was it, really. That's kind of... When I said last week I wanted to talk about identity, this is what I meant. Um, and it was nice, for me at least, um, to do something that was a bit more sort of in line with my sort of academic background. The, kind of, the first few episodes of this have been... Covered quite a few different topics, really. I mean, there's obviously been quite a bit of kind of psychology, I guess, going on in, in our definitions of OCD and the different types of OCD, which is what we looked at um, last week. And I've also done a bit of kind of media studies as well. <laughs> but I don't come from a background of any of that. I come from a philosophy background. That's what I studied at uni. So, yeah, it was good. It was nice um, to um, to discuss that with you guys. So I hope you find that interesting. Uh, as I said, I'll link um, Jordan's blog, Not Just Politics. She has an Instagram, which is also at Not Just Politics. Uh, I think it might be at Not Just Politics underscore, but there's some really interesting stuff on there. She posts content pretty much every day. And now she's got this uh, blog, which lots of different people, including myself, uh, have contributed to. And so I wrote a sort of an essay on uh, identity and mental illness. And that is on there if you want to give that a read. It's only it's less than 3,000 words. It's like, actually, I've got it here. How many pages? It's not very long four pages you know so you can crack through it um <laughs> if you want to read it you might find that you don't need to after listening to this but i kind of in in this i've sort of said what i said in that essay just in a bit more detail um so yeah if you found that interesting if you found this interesting you might find that interesting uh and you know there's other essays on there as well for people to check i mean i say essays they're, they're blog posts sorry but mine mine was essay-ish because i don't know you can probably tell from the way i'm been talking about it in this episode but that's the kind of <laughs> that's how i think about these kind of things um but yeah anyway i hope that was interesting for people i hope everyone's keeping safe uh i'm super anxious i'm going back to work next week back at the bar so we will see how that goes um obviously working in a food and drink business is going to be tricky given the fact that i don't know if you guys know this but there's actually a, there's actually a virus it seems kind of dangerous but it's going around and um yeah, it just seems a bit just seems a bit odd to me, really, that the government would um, would allow us to go back to you know working with food and drink. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll. Uh, I've done a media one. I've done some psychology ones. Now I've done a philosophy one. Maybe I should do a political rant as well. <laughs> I don't think people would be interested in that. You can probably guess what my opinion is um, <laughs> based on how I've talked about it just then and in other episodes. But anyway. Should probably get off this uh, get off this wild wild ride before I go on forever. So, thank you for listening. I hope you found that interesting. Stay safe, and I'll see you next Monday. Where what will we talk about? I might talk about um, perfectionism and OCD because uh, that's obviously a big part of OCD. So, uh, probably talk about that next week. Maybe not sure. Probably anyway. Take care, everyone, and thank you very much for listening. And I will see you next week. Okay, bye bye.